2: WTBN Pinellas Park, W262CP Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast
1: at this time. Odyssey.
0: The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time.
1: Up next is Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
2: Now we've entered into a new phase in our lives, and Paul is going to tell us about this new phase, what it means to be out from the harsh discipline and condemnation of the law and in Jesus Christ. And so he moves, I said this was a simple outline, he moves from his first main point, which is the bondage we had under the law, to his second main point, which is the freedom we have in Jesus Christ.
1: That's what Paul was talking about when he wrote in Romans 8, verses 1 and 2, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. It doesn't mean that we are free to do just anything we want, but what a relief it is to not need to try and continually fail to be perfect. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today we have come to the conclusion of Pastor Steve's final message in this series from chapter 3 of Galatians about the purpose of the Mosaic Law. In our last class, we saw that the law is a harsh governor. The law is tough. In fact, it's impossible. Try as we may, we cannot force ourselves into total conformity with it. But as Paul said in verse 24, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. Let's listen as Pastor Steve shares about some of the blessings that result from faith.
2: Listen, before we were saved, the law was oppressive, absolutely oppressive. We didn't want to hear all those thou shalt nots. We hated the rebuke of the law in our hearts. We hated the feeling of guilt, the burden of sin. And we hated the consequences that we suffered for the wrong things we did in breaking the law. But all that was necessary. Absolutely necessary in order to bring us to Christ because it was only as we were beaten up by the law for our many sins and shown by the law how disobedient we really were that we saw our need for Christ. Listen, it is a painful thing to be rebuked by the law. A very painful thing. To see what a depraved sinner we we really are. It hurts. That's why I'm so concerned about some who think that they're saved and they've never been hurt. You've got to be hurt by Moses before you're saved by Jesus. But it's painful to be rebuked by the law and to see what a depraved sinner we really are, but so necessary in order to see our need for Christ to save us. Let's look back again at Romans chapter 7. I read this earlier to you because Paul's experience was exactly this. He was hurt by the law, crushed by it. He calls it death. Starting in verse 7, we read this in Romans 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. It means, he means he would not have come to know that he was a sinner except through the law. Remember, Paul was a Pharisee, knew all about the laws. But one day, God enlightened Paul to the real standard of the law, that it was not only outward, it was inward. He said, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Paul, like all of us, Was a covetous individual, jealous what others had, wanting what others had. Paul said, it was coveting that made me realize the law showed me that that was wrong. That was a transgression. He says in verse 8, but sin taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind for apart from the law, sin is dead. He said, I wasn't even aware of it. I just coveted, but then when I became aware of it, I saw how much of a covetous man I was. I coveted everything. I was once alive apart from the law. By that, he means that he thought he was alive. He thought he was okay with God. He thought he was spiritually vibrant and had a relationship. But when the commandment came, meaning when it came to his heart, when he understood it, sin became alive and I died. This is called conviction of sin. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. Meaning, Paul said, I thought that if I kept the commandments, I would live. He said, but just the opposite was true. I died. It was death. I realized I was on on death row. I was condemned for sin. Taking an opportunity through the commandment deceived me. And through it, it killed me. So then the law is holy. Commandment is holy and righteous, he goes on to say. But he's a sinner. That was Paul's point. Paul once thought he was spiritually okay. After all, he was a Pharisee. He was from the uh, esteemed tribe in Israel. He was circumcised the eighth day. But he didn't realize what a wicked man he was until he read in the law, and the Spirit of God opens his heart to see, you are a covetous individual. And he said, I was a dead man, condemned to hell. Listen, the law batters us. It shows us how wicked we really are. Consider what Jesus said in the, in the Sermon on the Mount about the law. Remember, the Pharisees thought they were all right because they did these things outwardly for show. Jesus said, your righteousness has to be greater than the Pharisees. All they have is external righteousness, impressive religious credentials. Inwardly, they're dead men. They're filthy men. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spoke about the inner standards of the law. So he could say, if you hate in your heart, if you're even angry with someone, you are a murderer. And if a man sexually lusts after a woman, he says, you are an adulterer. And when we desire personal vengeance, he says, you've broken the law. And when we hate our enemies, He says, you've broken the law. The law absolutely kills us because it puts its finger on all of those inner attitudes and outward actions and shows us that we are totally, not a little bit, totally disobedient. We lie. We take things that don't belong to us. We slander people. We fail to honor our parents like we should. We covet. We're jealous. We we lust. We're proud. All of that and more. However, As painful as the law is, it's really a good thing. It's really a good thing to be rebuked and disciplined by the law because it's only as we see ourselves for what we really are, not good people who are just trying to live by the Ten Commandments, but spiritual lowlifes, law-breaking sinners. That's right, I said lowlifes. That's right. Law-breaking sinners. And when we see ourselves like that, then we see our need for justification by faith alone in Christ. And that is precisely what Paul says here in Galatians 324. The law has become our tutor, our guardian, our rod of discipline, our rebuker, our punisher, to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. And when that takes place, when we are saved by Christ, then note this, then like a young man coming of age in the ancient world, we are set free from being under the discipline of and stern authority of our guardian, the law. Verse 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Now, what Paul is saying here is that the moment you came to Jesus Christ, placed your trust in him alone for your salvation, you passed from under the guardianship of the law. Now, meaning you passed from under its condemnation. You didn't pass from under ever obeying the moral commands of God. Those are eternal standards of God. But you passed from from under the condemnation of the law. You were liberated from having the law always beating us up for behavior, saying, you are condemned to hell. Now, we've entered into a new phase in our lives. And Paul is going to tell us about this new phase, what it means to be out from the harsh discipline and condemnation of the law and in Jesus Christ. And so he moves, I said this was a simple outline, he moves from his first main point, which is the bondage we had under the law, to his second main point, which is the freedom we have in Jesus Christ. You need to pay close attention to what Paul says in these next few verses, because if you are a Christian, this is what is true of you. And if you are not a Christian, then this is what could be true of you, instead of being in the prison house of the law. So what the apostle reveals here to the Galatians and to every believer is our new status in Christ as we've passed from law to grace. This is precisely what the Galatians needed to hear because remember the Judaizers were trying to put them back under law and prevent them from growing up and moving out from under the oppressiveness of the law. They try to move out, they push them back. So what Paul does is tell them and tell us three results of being liberated from The law. And now, this liberation means we have a relationship with Christ. Here's what it means to be free in Jesus Christ. First of all, Paul says that to be free in Christ means that we have become sons of God. Verse 26 For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. This is one of the most profound and yet comforting truths you will ever read in the New Testament. Paul says that when we came to faith in Christ, as our Savior, we passed from being under the law to being under grace. There was a change in our relationship with God. No longer is God our harsh judge, who through his law only condemned us, locked us up, beat us down. No, we are now his sons. Even, even if you're female, you are. His son, we'll we'll explain that further as we get into this book, what it means to be a son of God. That's a generic term for all believers. We are now his sons and he is now our loving heavenly father who has forgiven all of our sins and transgressions that we've committed against him because of Christ's death and payment for those sins. See, it's not true that everyone born into this world is a child of God. That's not true. The Bible teaches that God is the creator of all but only the father of those who believe in Christ. That's John chapter 1, verse 12. As many as received him, to them he gave the authority to become children of God, to nobody else. I want you to notice, though, something important. Notice that Paul didn't simply say in this verse that you are, you are sons of God through faith in Christ. What he actually said is you are all, the emphasis is on all, sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, what Paul means by this is that it didn't matter one bit if the Galatians were Gentiles, not at all. All who placed their faith in Christ became sons of God. See, contrary to what the Judaizers have been teaching them, the Gentile Galatians were not second-class members in the family of God. They were not lower than Jewish people and inferior to them because they were uncircumcised and the Jews were circumcised. Paul said that all who come to Christ, regardless of their ethnic or religious, or social, or financial, or gender backgrounds become sons of God with all the privileges that go with being adult sons. You see, following the analogy that Paul has just given about the child who became an adult and no longer then needed a tutor, Paul says that all who trust in Christ have become adult sons too. Sons of God, Now, as I said, later in chapter 4, Paul is going to expand on this by explaining that we become sons through adoption and the warmth and intimacy that occurs because of this adoption. But for right now, what we need to focus on is to keep in mind that we no longer have to fear the dread of God as our judge. He's no longer a judge. A judge punishes. A father doesn't do that. He may discipline, but he doesn't punish, doesn't condemn. God is now our Father who has our best interests at heart, who loves us, who's good to us, who gives us mercy and grace in time of need. We're part of his family. He treats us as family because we are. Now, Paul has just explained that all believers in Christ have become sons of God. But how did that happen? How did we enter such a close relationship so that God is our Father and We are his sons. Well, Paul tells us how this happened in verse 27. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. What does he mean by this? Well, we know what he can't mean by this. We know that Paul can't mean that we become sons of God by being baptized with water. That would contradict everything the apostle has just said to the Galatians about circumcision not being necessary for salvation. Listen, give... Paul some credit. He's not talking out of both sides of his mouth. He's not going to contradict himself. He's certainly not going to tell the Galatians that water baptism can save them when he's just told them that circumcision can save them. Remember, this epistle is about justification by faith in Christ. So Paul can't possibly be teaching here that we can be justified by water baptism. That would be absolutely stupid of the apostle and wrong. Now, this statement about baptism isn't about water being used to save sinners. The question is, then what is it about? It's about how we entered into a special union, a mysterious, if you will, mystical union with Jesus Christ so that we are in Christ and he is in us. Here's the way pastor and Bible teacher John MacArthur explains what Paul is saying. He writes, the Bible nowhere teaches salvation by physical baptism especially not in Galatians, where the central message is salvation by faith alone, plus absolutely nothing else. Since it is here equated with being clothed with Christ, the phrase baptized into Christ cannot refer to any water ceremony at all, but rather, watch this, to spiritual identification with an immersion into the life of Christ. Talking about being immersed by the Spirit of God. Now let me explain, because this is what Paul explained to the Corinthians. The moment you trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord, the Spirit of God, unbeknownst to you, it's not anything you felt, it's not anything you, you were aware of, unbeknownst to you, the Spirit of God placed you, immersed you, baptized you into Jesus Christ, and you became one with Him, and you were placed in not only the body of Christ, just all believers, but the family of God. He immersed you, placed you into Christ, and you became one with every other believer. And the result is that there is only one body of true believers, only one family of true believers made up of people from all kinds of diverse backgrounds. And that's why as Paul continues to explain our status as those who have been liberated from the condemnation of the law, he proceeds to state that not only have we become sons of God by being united With Jesus Christ, but in being united with Christ, we have become, note this, united with every Christian in forming the family of God. And all who are in this family are equal in terms of their spiritual privileges. There is no caste system. Verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is the verse that I said at the beginning of the message. It's been so misunderstood. It's a precious verse, if understood properly. You see, in the world of the first century, class distinctions in society were very real, and they created huge barriers between people, as they still do today. Only back then, there was no moral conscience. Nobody standing up saying, that's wrong. At the heart of these class distinctions was the feeling that Jewish people were superior to Gentiles, that free men were superior to slaves, that men were superior to women. And these were the common things that divided people of that day, their race or ethnic backgrounds, their rankings in society and their gender. Some of those prejudices still exist today. Because often people look down upon others, even in churches, because of their race, social ranking, and gender. But the wonderful truth that the apostle is teaching here is that when you become a believer in Christ, there are no spiritual differences between believers. Jewish and Gentile believers are on the exact same level spiritually. Don't put any Jewish believer on a pedestal. And don't take a Gentile believer and put him below. Free and slaves or rich and poor have the same spiritual value. Men and women have the same spiritual privileges. Listen, what Paul is saying, as I said a moment ago, in Christ there is no caste system. All true believers have the same exact privileges in the family of God. Now, this doesn't mean that when you become a Christian, you cease to be who you are, and you become a faceless and classless and genderless person. That's nonsense. No, if you were born Jewish and you came to faith in Christ, you remain Jewish and you can eat all the matzo ball soup you can stuff in your face. Or any other ethnic thing that you like from your background. But being a Jewish Christian doesn't make you better or more important than a Gentile Christian. And if you are wealthy, you remain wealthy in coming to Christ and you don't have to become poor. But you're no better than a poor Christian. And you're not to be treated any differently And shown favoritism because of your money. And if you are a male or a female, which obviously we're in one of those categories, you obviously don't cease being a male or female once you become a believer. But your gender doesn't make you superior or inferior. Women were considered very inferior in the ancient world. Paul says, not in Christ. Not in Christ, you have the same exact spiritual privileges as every believer in Christ. Now, with men and women, this doesn't mean that the roles are the same, but the privileges are the same spiritually. What are those spiritual privileges? What is Paul talking about? Well, he tells us in this final verse what it means to be free in Christ. He's told us that we're sons, all sons of God in Christ, and we're all members of the same family Treated the same way because we have the same privileges. Now he tells us what it means to be free in Christ. Praise God. It said, He says, we all inherit the same blessings of salvation. Verse 29. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs, according to promise. Paul says that if you belong to Christ, then in addition to being a a child of God, a son of God, and part of God's family with every believer, you're also Abraham's children. And what he means by this is that by virtue of having the same kind of faith that Abraham had, trusting God with what he has said, we become Abraham's spiritual children. Now, it is true that Jewish believers are not only Abraham's spiritual children, they are his physical children. But Paul has just said, That doesn't make a Jewish believer any more important. What is most important is that we are the spiritual children of Abraham, whether we are Jewish or Gentile. And if that's the case, then we are recipients, Paul says, we are heirs of the promise that God made to Abraham, and you shall all the families of the earth be blessed, meaning by salvation in one of your descendants, even Jesus the Messiah. Listen, if you have come to faith in Jesus as your only hope of salvation, then the Bible says that you have been delivered from the condemnation of the law. That's an exciting thing. That's a wonderful thing. The Lord has set you free. He's brought you into his family where you have a heavenly father who loves you and a host of brothers and sisters who love you and you love them back. So praise God for what he's done in your life because he's brought you from bondage to liberty and he's done it all. Not a thing you could do. All we could do is sin more. But if you have not yet been brought out of the prison of the law, then let Christ deliver you today. Believe what the law says about you, that you are lost. You are a condemned sinner. And knowing that, then turn to Christ. Turn from your sin and turn to Christ and believe that his death on the cross is the only hope you can have for your salvation. Do that before it's too late. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for this precious passage of Scripture. We thank you for inspiring the Apostle Paul to write this. And I pray, Lord, for any who would still be in that prison awaiting eternal death, I pray that you'll turn them away from hell. Bring them to yourself. May they see themselves for what they really are. And, and Lord, not have blind spots thinking that they're righteous none righteous, no, not one. I pray for those even in our church whom I think that they're saved, but there's never really been conviction of sin and not convicted of sin even now much. I pray that you will. I pray that you'll bring them to repentance and genuine faith. And I pray, Lord, for those of us who know very well that we've been brought from under the condemnation of the law to freedom in Christ. I pray it will affect the way that we adore you our praise, our worship, our thanksgiving, that we will look more and more to you with an understanding that salvation belongs to you. Nothing we did could accomplish anything in our salvation. It is all of grace. So we give you thanks, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. If you're not sure about your salvation, I'll have a number for you to call in just a moment thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today's broadcast brings us to the end of this series of studies from Galatians chapter 3 about the purpose of God's law. I hope you found it helpful. To talk to someone about knowing Christ as your Lord and Savior, or if you'd like to visit Lakeside and need directions, call 727-441-1714. You can also find a wealth of information online at lakesidechapel.com. The phone number again is 727-441-1714. And that's also the number to call for a free audio CD with the message Pastor Steve just finished. Ask for message 1518, From Bondage to Freedom. You can listen again to this entire series or any other previous broadcast by visiting the message archive page at versebyverseradio.org. Also on our website is a convenient and secure giving page if you'd like to help support Verse by Verse Ministries. Your gifts are not only greatly appreciated, they're also tax-deductible